I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is part three of a special three-part podcast for Male Plus Health, where I speak to Dr. Amit Bakai, consultant cardiologist at Royal Free Hospital in London. Dr. Bakai qualified from St. Bartholomew's and the Royal Brompton Hospitals in London, and he is a Harvard scholar. He's also been described as a cutting-edge, internationally respected frontline consultant cardiologist. I had a heart attack 18 months ago and I had a stent fitted. Um, I also take medication for high blood pressure and statins. How risky is coronavirus for me? I'm 61 years old. Well, this is a very kind of very, very topical, um, very topical. Uh, question. Can I just get you to, just to clarify that? What actually, because we've mentioned before, what, what is a stent? Just in case people don't, aren't quite sure. Of course. A stent is a, is a little spring on a scaffold that holds arteries open after we've opened up open them up with a balloon. So we'll actually, if you've got a blocked artery, it's full of cholesterol and cells and clot. We punch a hole through that with a wire and then we use a balloon along that to open that artery up. And then we want to hold that artery open by putting a little spring in there. So a spring is coiled around the balloon, it's expanded into the artery, and then that scaffold stays open. And so it keeps that flow really nicely moving in the vessel. Oh, that's really clever. And so, so what about then this coronavirus? Because I suppose initially, when it first, ha- um, first, you know, the pandemic first struck, we thought it was, you know, it's a respiratory infection. It, it affects the lungs. But actually, I think we've we've learned that it also has effects on other systems of the body, particularly the cardiovascular, the heart system. Yes, the coronavirus is really interesting. We're learning so much about it, and and we're very blessed at the Royal Free. We've got some lovely uh, data showing us exactly how the coronavirus can affect the heart in those rare patients that are really unwell with coronavirus. What we see is that if the blood flow is slowed down through your lungs, you will get clots, not only in the lungs themselves, putting pressure on the right-hand side of the heart that pumps blood into the lungs, but you may even get clots in, in, in other areas of the body. So you can actually get clots in your heart arteries, the coronary arteries, and those are the ones that can give you a heart attack. So coronavirus, in rare patients can give you a heart attack. It can actually affect the muscle of the heart and damage it directly. It can put strain on the heart by putting pressure on the lungs. And so there are many ways that the coronavirus is affecting the blood system of the heart and the heart itself. So, so should this listener be worried, do you think? So we know that if you do have a background of coronary artery disease or ischemic heart disease, as other people call it, so blocked arteries or valve issues, etc., you are at increased risk of the coronavirus harming you. However, you're, if you've already seen a cardiologist, if you're already on all the right medications and you're taking those and we've reduced your blood pressure, we've reduced your cholesterol, we've reduced your sugars if necessary, actually then you're in a very good place. So what we believe is it's those people whose risk factors with their coronary arteries are not being managed. Those are the ones that suffer when the coronavirus hits them and they're not prepared for it. Just like that previous patient we talked about, she's done all the right things to stay fit. She got through a heart attack. If you do all the right things to stay fit, you'll get through your coronavirus without it then slowing down your blood and affecting your heart further. So it's really, really positive, and also yet another good reason to go for your uh, your 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 health check with your GP. Absolutely, and your exercise check and your diet check. Exactly right. 
We, we need a human MOT, and we're lucky in the NHS that we do have a mechanism like that called the NHS Health Check. Often people don't know about it. Often people don't use it. Often people don't know when they're supposed to have their next check. And if they're really good, then they don't need another check for five years. So, for example, you, Max, won't need another check for another five years. But it will be important to check at five years what's happened to your cholesterol and your sugars and your weight and your blood pressure. If it stays exactly the same, you've done brilliantly. If, on the other hand, it's crept up as normal, then you need to take notice as to when you might start to have to do address that really rigidly. I, I promise you, Amit, I, 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 I'll, I'll do my best to make sure everything stays the same. <laughs> exactly. The next question is, how much does alcohol really affect the heart? My husband has a heart valve condition and I think he drinks too much. At least a big whiskey and two glasses of wine a night, more at the weekend. I'm concerned it's start, it, he's storing up even more trouble for the future. And this person is, the wife of this husband, she's absolutely right that her husband is drinking way too much. And I, for one, say that you must minimize your alcohol. If you know that you've got a heart condition, you'll be on medications that are blood thinners. You'll be on aspirin, clopidogrel. If you've got an irregular heart or if you had your heart valve sorted out, you'll be on warfarin and other blood thinners. It's really important to minimize your alcohol intake you know, dramatically. Why do we drink alcohol? We drink it mainly to be sociable, but you can be sociable without needing to have the alcohol. Some people take the alcohol to help them sleep, but there's other ways to help you get, get yourself off to sleep. So these are calories, unnecessary calories, that are not only harming, alcohol raises your blood pressure, harms the heart muscle, and actually increases your cholesterol, your bad cholesterol, and your sugars. So actually alcohol is a poison, just like tobacco is, but of course, because it's so socially acceptable, we don't actually wage war on alcohol. But if there was a cleaner version of alcohol tomorrow that didn't raise blood pressure, didn't raise cholesterol, didn't raise sugar, didn't give you extra weight, and didn't actually make your reflexes slow down, that would be acceptable. But you know what? At the moment, like this patient, this person is absolutely right that her husband should be absolutely minimizing their alcohol intake. Otherwise, she's weakening, it's weakening their heart and putting them at greater risk. Because I think that sometimes people just think the doctors are a bit sort of killjoys because we'd say, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And all the, all, we're all to the kind of fun things in life. But I suppose that what, what you're saying is that actually, you know, there's a really valid, sensible reason why a doctor would say, look, to, particularly to this person, look, you have to be really careful with the amount of alcohol you're drinking. Because I think people don't necessarily realise that it kind of affects lots and lots of different parts of the body, all of which actually, from what you're saying, are going to have an impact ultimately on this person's heart and increases risk of, a, of, of it causing a problem. Correct. So the next question, which actually is something we haven't really talked about diabetes, um, but, but that's also a big kind of uh, issue for uh, cardiology. Um, so I, I have type 2 diabetes and my doctor has told me I need to go get my blood sugar under control as I'm now at higher risk of a heart attack. How can this be? And this is because I remember when I did cardiology, lots and lots of patients had diabetes. And likewise, when you did diabetes as a medical speciality, you saw lots and lots of heart problems. But I think people don't necessarily put the two together because diabetes to the problem with sugar in your blood, how does that affect your heart? So we know that if you have diabetes for at least, let's say, five to 10 years, if you've not controlled your sugars very well, then the small vessels in your body are starting to block up. They're blocking up in your eyes, 
you get laser surgery, they're blocking up in your kidneys, you need dialysis in the long run, but they're also blocking up in your heart as well. And so you're actually knocking off tiny blood vessels that are feeding the muscle of your heart and giving you small heart attacks. So we know now that about a quarter of diabetics within 10 years of their diabetes have heart disease. And as you rightly say, of the people that have heart disease, about a third of those have diabetes as one of the risk factors causing their, their heart disease. So there is a, a really big link. Now, these next five years are a really incredible place to do work in heart and diabetes because we've finally got brand new medications which are literally exercise in a pill. Now, these are called SGLT2 inhibitors, sorry about the name, but basically what they make you do is they make you pass glucose out into your urine and with it goes water. Now get this, they're making you pass water and glucose into your urine, so it's like burning up sugar, exercise, getting the sweating, making you pass urine, and often that lowers your blood pressure, lowers your weight, and it strengthens your heart. So these new medications are an absolute joy to talk about maybe at another session max we could we could talk about how diabetes kidney disease and the heart now are being addressed by some of these new tablets that we've got you know, it's a really exciting area and that's just one area of medications there's another medication called glp1 analogs which are actually protecting you from heart attacks and from strokes directly so there are pills that help diabetics live longer without getting heart weakness and there are pills and injections that are helping you avoid heart attacks and strokes if you're a diabetic. So it's a really important time now to go and see your GP to understand that actually getting your sugar level down isn't just the main way that the medications work. They actually help you lose weight, lower your blood pressure, get better cholesterol profiles, etc., and actually survive without a heart attack or stroke and premature death. Really exciting time. I mean, that's it. this is amazing because you know when I was at medical school, there, it was basically just you know for diabetics, you just give them you know ultimately insulin, um, insulin. and that was yeah. pretty much yeah, it. Metformin, maybe if you're lucky. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's kind of like you know it was, it was all just focused on the blood sugar. Totally changed. We are now we now understand that diabetes is just a marker for a constellation of problems. You won't have met many diabetics that don't have high blood pressure max. In fact, what happens is that high blood pressure comes first, and then the, the older age diabetes comes after that. And actually, I say to you, you know, diabetes, the, the older age diabetes, the type 2 diabetes where you haven't damaged your pancreas or et cetera, the one that comes with greater age and weight is something actually reversible and preventable. Uh, if you started with your NHS health check and you know you're borderline, you're going to do exercise, you're going to lower your weight, you'll lower your blood pressure you can actually prevent yourself getting diabetes for many, many years, if not forever. So it's a really another another idea of prevention is better than cure. And can I just ask, because I'm sure there'll be at least a few listeners who are wondering this, this kind of exercise in a, in a pill, sort of miracle drug you were describing, is there any yep. evidence that people without diabetes should be taking these? Great question, Matt. You are obviously ahead of time. And actually, we've just found out We've actually done, so as a research director, it's such a joy to be part of these trials. And there's a wonderful trial called DAPR-HF, um, and that actually was a medication that is for diabetics originally. And we looked at that diabetic medication in people with weakened heart with and without diabetes. And guess what? Both the diabetics and the non-diabetics equally benefited from the effect of losing spare water 
lowering your blood pressure, lowering your weight, and getting your heart to be stronger. So actually, these drugs that are currently were tested as safety drugs in diabetes with heart failure, uh, heart, people with heart attacks and heart disease, as well as diabetes, to check that the, the medications weren't harming them, actually were found to be benefiting them. And now we're finding that they're not really diabetic medications alone. They're actually heart medications that improve your entire risk profile. There's a thought to say, is there anybody over 40 living in a city, in a city environment that shouldn't be on medications like that? Because in the future, we'll find that actually these are great ways to lose weight, lose blood pressure, and actually can control your sugar as well. So really exciting times as to what the future will be, as you rightly say, not just for diabetics, but also for non-diabetics. Oh, fascinating. So one last question. We're going to quickly see if we can uh, just slip this one in. Yep. When I'm lying in bed, I get a stabbing sensation in my chest, pain across my shoulders, and I feel quite sick and dizzy. It's a bit better when I sit up in bed. I don't want to bother my GP at the moment, and I definitely want to, don't want to go into hospitals for tests as I'm terrified of catching COVID. I mean, there's two interesting things here, because one of them is the symptoms, but also there's the general thing about people staying away from hospitals because they're worried about catching COVID. And I've, you know, I've had several patients who've actually been seriously unwell and they haven't wanted to go into hospital and require quite a lot of encouragement. Um, uh, and I think that's that's something we're seeing in hospitals in general, people trying to stay away. Um, and I, I'm sort of worried that we might be storing up problems for ourselves later on down the line. Yeah, I want to give a really clear message here to all our listeners. First of all, primary care and secondary care are open for business. We do not want you to be sitting on heart problems we don't want you to be sitting on cancer problems that could have been prevented from getting worse. So all the GPs, all of the casualty consultants, all of the normal consultants that are working in different parts of the hospital, we're really seeing these patients that have accidentally been scared of coming into hospital. And then they're coming in with much severer versions of heart disease, severer versions of cancer, that if we'd have picked them up six, six weeks earlier or or two months earlier, we would actually be able to make so much more difference. So you're absolutely right, Max. You know, people should not be worrying when they've got a serious condition, such as something giving you pain in your chest and actually making you almost dizzy and sick. That's nearly collapsing. People like that should be encouraged to go into casualty, have your x-rays, have your blood tests, see what we're dealing with. In this particular patient's case, we may be dealing with something as simple as pleurisy because they've actually had COVID and it's still left a bit of lining, damage of the lining of the lung. It might be something that they're getting over. But they could also be suffering from quite serious things. For example, they might have a clot on their lung and they need blood thinners. They may have the lining of the heart being inflamed. It's called pericarditis. And there may be fluid around the heart. So actually, we need to understand and know that. Because when you move and something gets better, then something, some lining of either the lung or the heart or the stomach is not happy. So we need to understand these and we need the imaging tests, the blood test markers, the ECGs and the scans to, to actually diagnose. And then if you're well, we'll sort you out really quickly and get you back home, etc. But at least we've avoided any correctable deadly causes like clots in your lung or fluid around your heart or heart attacks, etc. Or any problems with it. You could even have a puncture of your lung and you don't realize it. Just a simple x-ray will immediately work that out. So within 20 minutes of being in casualty, you know, we'll have got those some of those tests sorted out and know exactly how serious this is. So really important message. Please, please, please don't sit on dangerous symptoms like chest pain that's new 
breathlessness that's new, irregularities of the heart that's new, or, or swelling, swollen legs, or you're losing weight. You know, those are the things we want to see you with. That is really, that's really, really useful um, advice. Thank you, Amit. That's all we've got time for, but thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you know when the next podcast is released. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And whilst you're there, please leave us a review.